a cryptocurrency trading hamster, hacking the hackers, and a new DocuSign scam. All that and more on the Naked Security Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I am Doug. He is Paul. Hello, folks. The sun is slowly setting on the excellent Cybersecurity Awareness Month, so we want to remind the good people, a little housekeeping here before we start the show, that we have four bonus mini podcast episodes that have gone live. We do. I think they're great podcasts because they aren't just news. They're really trying to teach you about malware, about supply chains, about security operations, and, intriguingly, about cyber insurance. Yes. Uh, How to make it work for you. A quick note to those of you who have your podcast apps set to download only the latest episode, if you'd like to see these ones, make sure to go back and check for them, because uh, if you're just checking on Friday mornings for the Naked Security Podcast, you'll get this one and the one before it, but you'll miss the the four mini-sodes that came out in between. And you won't notice the missing numbers, because we use decimal fractions. I don't know why. I was going to put like Fibonacci numbers after the decimal point, but in the end, I just went 55.2, 55.4, 55.6, and 55.8. They're all 25 minutes long. And for those of you who would like to follow along, maybe if you find the accents of any of the people hard to understand, there are full transcripts for all of those podcasts. So you can scroll through or you can just read ahead. (laughs) Uh, We do like to start the show with a fun fact, and the fun fact for this week is that the default Rolling Hills background image that shipped with Windows XP is called Bliss. It is. And was taken in Sonoma County, California, by a photographer named Charles O'Rear, and it is believed to have been seen by billions of people making it one of the most, if not the most, viewed photos ever. In the UK, it was known as Teletubby Land. (laughs) Because it looked like the background that the Teletubbies lived in. It did, <laughs> it did didn't it? Yep. The last time I was in wine country, we were in Sonoma County, and I was I kept looking at the hills and thinking, is that the one? Is that the one? Is that the one? But, Paul, as you pointed out uh, before we, when we had our pre-production meeting, before we started recording, it doesn't look anything like that nowadays. No, I saw an article a few years ago. I don't know whether it was the 15th anniversary of him taking it or something. Uh, apparently it has been returned to vines. Hmm. So it doesn't look like that anymore. I and did read too that it, there was there was almost n- very little or no manipulation to the image itself. There was yes. no editing. That's I, was, a, that's a... I loved that thing. That, that was, he just realized, I want to capture that as I'm seeing it. And so the, the skill he had with the camera, this is, the, this is a bit in photography that I deeply lack, is I see a beautiful thing and I take a photograph of it. And then I go back to say to wife, I've got to show you this. And I open the photograph and it looks as dull as ditch water, or worse. You're going, oh, <laughs> well, it was better than that in real life. But he went out of his way to capture it as it was, as you say, and it wasn't, that green wasn't tweaked, and that's what it was like. And it's, yeah, a beautiful photo, and we'll talk a little bit about Windows XP later in the show, but first, from the rolling hills of California to the wood chip clumps of a hamster's den, we have a... Cryptocurrency trading Office, hamster. Douglas. Office. Office. I, I do need to I need, I need to point out if if you haven't read this article, it is one of the most the funnier, well written posts in the history of naked security. Can I just can I read one <laughs> quote for this? It, this is Paul's <laughs> writing, and it just it it got me really good. It was just such a great punch at the end of this. So he write Paul, you write, 
this hamster's name is Mr. Gox, and he, he has a Twitch stream. We'll get into the story, but you write, as Mr. Gox's own Twitch TV stream makes clear, and then the quote is from the, the Twitch account, the stream and all related posts are for entertainment purposes only. Investments shown here are not financial advice. Do not make financial decisions based on trades or data shown here. Mimicking trades might lead to severe financial losses. All data is supplied without guarantee or liability. Errors, delays, and omissions of data are expected. And then, Paul, you write, in simpler words, he's a hamster, which really got me. So that uh, <laughs> yeah. those three words <laughs> really got me it good. It may sound a bit silly to be writing about this, but I think there is a, a, an interesting and perhaps even an important and definitely a very informative side to this in that, well, it is a bit of good, clean fun. It's a, it's a little system that this chap has attached with a, with a sort of tube, which he calls the portal, to his hamster's main cage that the hamster can go and browse in. And then the hamster can do various activities, like there's a little wheel and tunnels he can go through. And when he does goes on the wheel, it chooses a cryptocurrency based on how much the wheel spins. And then depending on which tube he goes through, there's a motion sensor that decides, is he going to buy or sell the cryptocurrency he just selected? <laughs> so it's basically like a, a random number generator but he's got a fantastic video on how he built the system. And it just goes to show the sort of fun you can have at home while learning about things like IoT programming. So it explains how he made the wheel how, with the 3D printer, how he made it hamster safe, how he, how he rigged up a really inexpensive lightweight system to determine the measure the wheel's rotation, how he built a little Arduino system to capture all the data and convert this and that the other. And just as importantly, ultimately how he actually designed the operation of the system which technically is surveillance there's little webcams in there how he actually thought about the difference that his technology would make to the hamster which is you know a good a good way of thinking about software that you build in bigger scale for real life for real people like how would he illuminate the scene at night because hamsters are nocturnal so that he could take video but without disturbing the hamster and all that sort of stuff so, if, you know, if you're interested in hobbyist computing and messing around with things like Arduinos and Raspberry Pis, it's actually a, a fantastic read and the video is really well done. So yes. don't feel discouraged if you're looking for a, a fun hobby project. And did you know that ha hamsters can do up to five kilometers an hour, apparently? That's about his record speed. Wow. Getting it on the wheel. Okay. Yeah. He really wants to aggressively trade. A great comment, too. The first comment of this story is, Given the often irrational nature of stock markets and currency trading, I expect that Mr. Gox's performance is near the median for human traders. Yeah, it's, it, it's a fun project. And of course, there's a little bit of memory in it for people with a history in cryptocurrency trading that he's called Mr. Gox with two X's. And uh, a lot of our listeners will remember Mount Gox, which I may not realize Mount Gox was a massive one of the, the first massive cryptocurrency exchange based in Japan. Mm -hmm. And it, it was actually a domain that was bought surplus to requirements, if you like, that used to be MTGOX, which was Magic the Gathering online exchange. Yes, so that is a fun fact. Yes. An online site where you'd go to buy physical playing cards for the MTG game. And then it became a cryptocurrency exchange. And it was one of the first really, really big, what you might call crypto coin implosions. Something like half a billion, $500 million worth of crypto coins suddenly meant, went missing one day. No one quite knows where they went. 
and the guy who ran the business ended up getting prosecuted and he went to prison in Japan, but not for the crypto coins. It was because apparently he had overegged the pudding, as it were, and misrepresented the value of the company to investors. And so Mr. Gox is just a little bit of a reminder that if you're getting too close to a new cryptocurrency investment that you can't see the wood for the trees, maybe step back a little bit. Stop, think, connect, since it is still Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Perfect. Yes, it's a, a fun read and a great video. And that is called To the Moon, Cryptocurrency Hamster Mr. Gox Trades Online 24-7 on NakedSecurity.Sophos.com. And we deftly slip into something a little bit more serious. Law enforcement going toe-to-toe with the infamous Reveal Gang. This is an interesting yes. article here. Anyone who follows the ransomware scene will know that Reveal was one of those ransomware-as-a-service ecosystems, if one can use that word, you know, where the core crooks write the malware, collect the money, do the decryption stuff, but they don't do the network attacks themselves. They leave that to a network of affiliates to actually go out and, if you like, put themselves a little bit more into the firing line. And the affiliates, in theory, are supposed to get 70% of the ransom, which is a big encouragement for them to, to go large, go wide, try and attack all the computers on your network to make the extortion have the, the biggest chance of succeeding and then the core crooks keep 30%. And they've kind of been up and down and online and offline recently. Anyway, suddenly they went offline again and it looks as though they kind of got hacked back by a combination of law enforcement and other agencies from around the world. The sources that I saw just said multiple countries. The only one that was mentioned explicitly was the United States. And part of the explanation for why this happened that seems perfectly plausible is that somebody, an insider in the team, who was trying to recover from previous technical problems, ended up restoring backups. Isn't that ironic for a ransomware crew? Seriously. That were that basically reintroduced servers that had been compromised in the past, and then those servers had been taken offline, which presumably cut law enforcement out of the equation, and they restored too far back, and <laughs> the cops got in again, <laughs> allegedly. So it's an interesting reminder of how complicated disaster recovery and what we like to call the network time machine, like going back and undoing all the bad stuff but keeping all the good stuff that happened over a potentially long period. It's a reminder of just how complicated that can be. So the irony here is that when it comes to backups, it's, it's great to have lots of backups, but sometimes you can have too many, meaning some that are too old, some that are too new. So you lose the data you want to get back with the new ones, or you bring back old data you don't want to have with the old ones. You got to find a good backup right in the middle. So that's kind of, sounds like that's what happened here. It does. The further you go back, with backups where you know there have been crooks in the network, you could think, well, that's quite good because you've reversed any of the naughty changes, secret changes that the crooks made. Like you, you get rid of all the accounts that they created with names that match yours but aren't real people. You get rid of all the weird extra software or configuration changes they've installed or made. Of course, 
as seems to happen here. You go back too far, you also have a system that suddenly needs patching, right? That yes. You've, you've <laughs> got the holes that maybe let the crooks in in the first place. Or if the story about Reveal is true, they went back far enough that they reintroduced a backdoor that law enforcement had managed to get there and then lost. And suddenly, presumably to their great rejoicing, it kind of reappeared. And that's the problem you have if you go back too far, as well as the fact, of course, that if you go back too far, you might get your computers running again, but it's not much good for your business if you've got last quarter's data as the most recent. But if you if you just restore yesterday's backup, that's great for recovering your data, but it could mean that you don't actually take the time to look at all the other things not related to your data that were fiddled with by the crooks along the way, like those secret extra accounts, a little bit okay. like putting out a big a big bushfire, I guess. If you don't suppress it fully, then by the time you get back to the depot, it will just have burst into flames again. Good analogy, great advice, and we have some additional advice for the good people. Yes, the most obvious one is that layered protection, defense in depth, synchronized security, whatever you wish to call it, it really does help because there's a lot more to malware and modern cyber threats than just the ransomware that comes at the end, sadly, of a lot of them. Attack chains, as they're often called, can be quite long indeed, with the crooks doing a little bit at each stage. So if they do set off alarm bells, they're just very quiet and in one corner and someone will go and deal with them and think that they've dealt with the problem. But the flip side of that is the attack chain can also be thought of as the kill chain. In other words, in many cases, if you can interrupt it at any one of the stages along the way, you can actually beat the crooks because you stop them getting to their final goal. Okay, so that's use layer protection. And the next tip we have is to assume you will be attacked. Something I think a lot of people haven't quite grasped yet, but with every headline, it seems to be getting a little bit more real for people. It's one of those things that feels a bit weird to say it because it's almost as though you're advising people plan to fail. You're not doing that. You're just saying, assume that the crooks are going to get either very close or in at least a bit. They might not do everything. But like I said, with layered protection, if you just go, well, we'll wait till, we'll wait till the ransomware happens and then we'll decide what we're going to do. Well, that means you're kind of coming at the problem from the wrong end, aren't you? You're not assuming you're going to fail. You're just taking into account that there is a non-negligible chance that you might fail. And by definition, the only time that you can plan is before it happens. Okay. And we talked about making backups. Um, <laughs> don't just yes. grab the one from yesterday. Don't grab the one from a year ago, but make backups and ideally uh, one offline, ideally another offsite. And uh, as, as these attacks get more complex, consider investing in managed threat response. The reason a lot of people are nervous about third-party managed threat response is, A, it kind of feels like you're assuming you're going to be attacked, which we already mentioned. And B, they're kind of worried, well, what's the chance that these people really know my network as well as I do? The point is, as you can hear if you listen to Michelle Ferenczi's mini podcast episode 55.8 one advantage of getting in someone like the Sophos managed threat response team is they've 
done this before. So they have that experience that means they can focus on the recovery, they can focus on being the network time machine, while you can deal with all the things about keeping your business running, even when there's what looks like disaster all around. Okay, and then finally read our 2021 State of Ransomware report, which is chock full of interesting and horrifying statistics. Yes, I guess putting that in the article was me being a little bit cheeky. Hey, we we did this report. Obviously, we'd love you to download it and look at it. I think the great thing about that report is it's not just, hey, we've come up with these theories. It's we got an outside survey company to survey, what was it, Doug, 5,500 people across dozens of different countries all around mm-hmm. the world in all sorts of industry sectors and to ask them questions where if it had been us asking the questions, it would be kind of obvious what answers we were looking for and that might have skewed the results. Is that confirmation bias? It probably isn't, but you know what I mean. <laughs> so we got a proper survey company to go and ask these questions in a neutral way and we collated the data. And some of the stuff in there, like the fact that even if you pay the crooks, you're likely to lose a whole bunch of your data anyway. I wouldn't have guessed that until I saw our survey respondents confirming it. So it helps you understand not just what the cybersecurity industry as a whole would love you to think. It actually is real insight into what actual victims are experiencing when they do have a ransomware attack. How long did it take? How much did it cost? Well, I paid the money was that all I needed to pay? Actually, no, it turns out it costs you a lot more if you have to pay the ransom because you still have to do all the recovery. It still takes as long as it would if you were restoring backups. It's like you have to pay an extra fee to retrospectively get the backups, if you like. So there's some interesting stuff in there that you might not have thought of. Okay, well, that is Reveal Ransomware Gang Allegedly Forced Offline by Law Enforcement Counterattacks on NakedSecurity.Sophos.com. It is time for the segment we like to call This Week in Tech History. And we, we talked about Windows XP a little earlier in the show, and as luck would have it, this week, 20 years ago, on October 25th, 2001, Windows XP was released to retail. It was built upon the Windows NT operating system. XP replaced both Windows 2000 and Windows Millennium Edition as XP Professional Edition and XP Home Edition, respectively. Did you say Millennium Edition? Windows me. I am quite annoyed with you, Doug, because I had I had actually banished it from my brain. I'd forgotten yeah. about it, and now yeah. it's back. And you mean it's you didn't take me years to forget it? You didn't have a uh, a temperamental <laughs> compact Presario desktop that you were fighting with Windows Millennium Edition on daily, like I did in in college. Oh boy, no. that. That he though I, I I loved the look of it. I thought it was like a fun. Hey, this is a fun operating system. But once you actually started trying to do stuff, it was just a, a real mess. So I was excited when Home came out, and it was the first consumer version to not be based on MS DOS or the Windows ninety five kernel. Though it had uh, the features were like the the user interface was was much better. I thought it got dinged a little bit by some people that took themselves a little too seriously by saying it was a little childish. But they had, it had new Windows Explorer features, so you could find stuff easier. It had the new image features, faster boot times. That was huge. So um, I, was, I was fond of, of XP. And uh, to this day, we have statistics stating that uh, we're, da- we're finally down under less than 1% of the computers in the world are, are still running XP. But a lot of computers in the world. That's the ones that haven't been sneakily 
modified to mislead the statistics gatherers in order to <laughs> there could be yeah. get a get, give a, a clear view of health to the auditors oh do we have any yeah. xp on the network run a scan no not no. a bit of it those are the ones because... in my uh, in my dentist's office that are hooked up to the the weird machinery that can only run code designed specifically specifically for xp and to think that that's controlling your health basically mm -hmm. So let's talk about something a little bit more comfortable than uh, being at the dentist office. This is a new DocuSign scam. Probably won't apply to, as you say, 999 out of 1,000 people, but there are lots of 1 in 1,000 people in the world. So this is a classic take on the spray and pray scam. It is. It was a fish that I received this very day. The reason I came up with that 999 out of 1,000 people would just see this fish and go, absolute garbage is that this one was specifically targeting one of the big high street banks in south africa so i thought well that's pretty odd like what would sophos naked security be doing with an account with this bank specifically or in south africa in general so obviously they're just using a giant list and that's so obvious that i just deleted immediately and i figured well it must be worth it to the crooks that they're relying on the fact that that one in a thousand people, whatever it is, I, I figured that if they're, uh, I'm making these numbers up because I've, I've rounded them to the, to the nearest power of 10. If you assume there are 10 billion people in the world, and if you assume that there are 100 million people in South Africa, both those numbers are a bit high. And if you assume that 10% of people in South Africa use this particular bank and its website, then only one in 1,000 people in the whole world could possibly think that this scam had anything to do with them. Because otherwise they just go, never heard of it, garbage, delete it. And yet the crooks are doing it. It's just one of those scams. It's not perfect. There are a few mistakes in it, some spelling mistakes, bad-looking domain names. But as you said, don't like to use the B word last week, Doug. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you think, but this one, you can see why in a weak moment you just go, hang on, I better look into this. You've got this invoice, but there's a DocuSign contract that you have to agree to first. Click the DocuSign link. So the email does indeed come from DocuSign, and there is a document you can go and visit, but actually it isn't a contract. It's just a document. The document itself isn't malicious. There's a dodgy link in there, but of course, when you view it in DocuSign, the link is disabled because you're just seeing a view of it that's presented for you to read. It's not meant to be interactive. And there's no contract at the end of it. So I guess the crooks are figuring that what you do is you, instead of going, well, that's just obviously they've just sent a bogus document through a, through a DocuSign account, who's going to believe that? But you might think, I know, well, let me just open the PDF, the actual original document, and see what's in it. In this case, it doesn't contain malware. It's not a Visual Basic file in disguise or anything. And when you open the PDF, surprise, surprise, it's exactly the same as the preview that DocuSign presented because it is the same document. But the difference is now you're probably not in your email client anymore. You're probably in a PDF viewer, like, say, Adobe Reader, and suddenly the link's live. So you think, that's weird. Let me click the link and see what the heck this is all about. Like mm -hmm. those scams that say, hey, we, we billed you 99 bucks for a robot vacuum cleaner that you ordered. Click here if this wasn't you. <laughs> so you click the link, and I don't know about you, Doug, if you've looked at the images. I have. Although you should spot that the URL is actually an agricultural website in Bulgaria, believe it or not. The crooks have obviously hacked one little part of it. 
and put their content in there. So if you ignore that, so of course, you've got HTTPS because it's a, it's a regular website that's providing free hosting. And they've, they've ripped off the beautiful background image, baobab trees, my favorite tree. They're like the Olympic powerlifters of the tree world. <laughs> Big, massive trunks and really close-packed branches. So they've got this beautiful picture in the background, sort of South African bush picture, and the bank login. You know, if you ignore the fact that obviously the links don't work properly, it's kind of the same. It says, hello, sign in, email address, offers you the terms and conditions. It even advises you that you could use the banking app to log in instead. And if That's you great. took that advice, <laughs> this particular scam wouldn't work, <laughs> obviously, because if you switch to the banking app from your browser, then you'd actually, well, you'd hope that it would make a better effort to connect to the bank site. And you put in your email address and you get password sign in. And then you put in your password. You then get a delay. It says, please wait. And there's a little spinning icon. Now, I do I don't know what the real bank's login delay looks like, but I wouldn't be surprised if the crooks have just done you know, a screen grab of the exact things, little blue circles spinning around. And after a reasonable amount of time, which I'm guessing is long enough for an alarm to go off in Crook Central, for a crook to jump up to the keyboard or for a, an automatic script to kick in and start logging in with the username and password you've just provided, you then get the thing now into your one-time PIN, your two-factor authentication code. And of course, they're hoping that you'll put in a real code and mm -hmm. therefore the crooks have all three bits of the equation they need. They've got your username, obviously, they've got the password and they've got the one-time code. All fairly believable. And just in case you go, you know what, DocuSign, PDF, an invoice that just says click here to see what it's all about. I still need to get to the bottom of this. So for those people who are cynical and thinking on their feet, the crooks have carefully put a phone number you can call in the invoice.pdf as well. I didn't try calling it, but I have no doubt that if you do, you will reach the politest, most helpful person you've ever had on a call center line who will identify himself with the correct name of the bank and will lovingly talk you through doing exactly the same things I just exactly, described. Yeah. So, yeah, what could possibly go right if you go down that path? And we've given this advice before, but it bears repeating. What can people do to avoid these types of scams? They can. Well, you take us through this, Doug, because yeah. one of these is something that you're very keen on with very good reason. Yeah, you can check those URLs. That's your Absolutely. first giveaway. Yes. Um, and you say here it's good. Like, if, if you're not quite sure on your phone, check from a computer because those are easier to spot. Um, yes. There is an advantage to being lazy because uh, last weekend I got one of these. It was a smishing scam. It was from oh, really? a bank, a bank that I use, wow. and which is not a it's not a hugely popular bank, but it's not small. And is it a regional I, bank? Kind of, yeah. And I like said a sort of New England bank, for example. Yeah, because it's easy for the crooks to match those up, right, with your area yep. code. Yeah. So they can target you, little air quotes, without really needing to know anything but the most basic details about you. Mm -hmm. I saw this text message come in. I was out and oh, about boy. doing something, and I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to the bottom of this, and I'm going to send this to Paul, because maybe he can write about it, or he, he would find this interesting. By the time I got back home, I had forgotten about it. I checked it on Monday. So this happened on Saturday morning. And by Monday, the whole thing had been taken down. The URL Good. had been 
caught and the hosting company had been tipped off to it. So if you're lazy like me and you're forgetful, there's actually an advantage to that because uh, those things get taken down reasonably swiftly. It also shows that although it's a little bit of hassle to report these things, if nobody says anything, then how would the hosting provider ever find out? Yeah. So sometimes saying something can make a difference. And then um, phishing 101, avoid links in email or attachments, or in emails or attachments. We've talked about that yes, at length. And my personal favorite, use a password manager, because if you're using a password manager, when you go to log in to that fake site, your password will not be there for you as it would on the legitimate exactly. site. You see that picture with the beautiful baobab trees and the South African bush felt, and you think, well, that must be it. I've seen that before. And if the procedure looks about right, then you know, well, first I've got to put in my email address, then comes my password, then comes the message to my phone. And so you just follow along. Password manager can't do that. Doesn't know what a baobab tree looks like. Mm -hmm. uh, it just knows Bulgaria. <laughs> <laughs> agricultural website never heard of it so as we said before it's not that it it's unwilling to help you it can't which is a good thing yes and then of course never call the crooks back if you're asked to call a number look at the number on the back of your card or the brochure you got when you first signed up for the account and call that number instead yes because if you phone the number and ask the name of the company that you are speaking to. If it was a truthful email, you will hear the name you expect. If it was a bogus email, you will hear the name you expect. So there is mm -hmm. no point in calling the number <laughs> the crooks gave you. And it is increasingly common for crooks just to use numbers and not to put in links. Obviously trying to target, again, little air quotes, people whom they know still could fall for scams, but they know they mustn't click links. So the crooks have said, for those people, I'll find another way to do it that they're more inclined to trust because they haven't learned that one yet. Okay, that is Banking Scam uses DocuSign Fish to thieve 2FA codes on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. It is time for the Oh No of the Week, and I'd like to shift gears, if I may, a personal appeal. This is a call for help. I have a computing Doug problem. Doug needs PS5, and he <laughs> hasn't got one yet. <laughs> that, I'm not... Quite that desperate, but we're getting we're getting there. No, this problem I'm finding this very ungoogleable. Sometimes you have those problems that you're just I, I don't know how to Google this, and when I do, it's it's solutions for something that's not the same problem. So if anyone has an answer to this, you people are out there working with users all day. If you anyone has come across this, please email us tips at sophos.com if you'd be so kind. So for me, ever since upgrading to Windows 11, when I wake my computer from sleep. It's as though my mouse is, it has like a, it's like its frame rate, for lack of a better term, is extremely low. So if I move the mouse, it just kind of, it doesn't trail across the screen like normal, but instead it just kind of jumps from one side of the screen to another after, after about a second or so. So I can't really click on anything because I can't tell where my mouse is. But this problem is fixed entirely once I open a program. All I need to do is open a program. So I have a little shortcut uh, on my keyboard that opens the calculator. So I tap that button, the calculator opens, and then my mouse starts working. So, so that is... Uh, I think you've solved the problem for yourself, Doug. Well, I know. So this is a minor annoyance, to be sure, but I'm halfway fascinated a a as to why this workaround is working. So 
if you have any ideas of how to fix this, that would be great, but it's not the end of the world. But why is this happening? My suggestion is use your solution, but I'm going to promote it. It's a free product. It's fantastic. Open source. Free 42. The best computer calculator. It's a faithful <laughs> simulation wow. of an HP 42 calculator. I don't from need a new calculator. They are so great, Doug. This program, okay. it runs on iOS, Android, Linux, Windows, and Mac. And it's perfect. He's even taken a high-res picture of a real HP 42. It's like being there. And okay. so it'll just make you smile every time you pop it up to fix yeah, your Mac. I, I appreciate the tip there. The, uh, my other recommendation, and I'll be, this is a, a more serious one, although I, I can't live without free 42. But a more serious thing is, and I know you're not going to like this, but it actually can revolutionize your life. Stop using sleep mode. Yeah. Shut your computer down. It's a, mm. it's annoying, but it is a fantastic discipline. It forces you to log out from those sites, to close the 7,854 yeah. tabs that are taking up all the memory that's causing your mouse to submarine. Yeah. It boots so fast now, too. I, I have no excuse. Exactly. And it just means I never have to worry, oh, am I sleeping? Am I hibernating? Did it lock properly? If, the per if someone opens the lid, will, they be able will there be something on the screen? Will it work? I just like the idea that when the person lifts the lid, they've got nothing. Yeah. Okay. Well, I I'll give it a week. You're not going to do it, are you? <laughs> yeah, well, I wanna see, I'm going to see if anyone responds. And then if not by next week, then I, I, yeah, I, 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 I've got no excuse. So. So I've got plenty of things to try, none of which I think are going to work, but I'll, I will try them all. If you have an oh no you'd like to submit, or if you can help me with my oh no, we'd love to read it on the podcast. <laughs> Email tips at sophos.com. Comment on any one of our articles or hit us up on social at Naked Security. I don't feel dissed at all, Doug, by my N suggestions all being ignored. I will try them and <laughs> I will report back. Um, that's our show for today. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs> For Paul Ducklin, I'm Doug Ameth, reminding you until next time to stay, stay secure. secure.